As I've mentioned before, this podcast is made possible by contributions from listeners. Together, you've helped create more than 400 podcasts over the last six years. I'd like to take a moment to thank each and every one of you for that. This show simply wouldn't be possible without you. I've recently been looking at my options because of some financial problems. As a result, I've talked to my friends, family, peers within our community, and also sought out other perspectives about what to do. I heard the same thing over and over again. If your audience continues to find the show valuable, then by the very principles of permaculture, there's no reason you shouldn't be able to earn a living wage. The problem right now is that I'm not. You know my record and thoughts on permaculture. I'm not a shovel-in-the-dirt kind of guy. I'm a scholar and an academic, a storyteller and a broadcaster. My job is to bring the Permaculture Podcast to you. My salary and the budget for the show depends on you. Will you support this work? I'm not looking to generate excess capital, but I can't work on an empty stomach either. If a mere one out of seven of my listeners dedicated a dollar a month or an annual contribution of $20 to the show, I would be able to make a living wage. So I'm going to pause here for a moment and encourage you to visit thepermaculturepodcast.com slash support and invest in this renewable resource that I'm creating for our community. This is the Permaculture Podcast. I'm Scott Mann, and you're listening to episode 1715, the Mid-Atlantic Permaculture Convergence Q&A. The Q&A that follows was made possible by the MAPC sponsors, including Crossfields Institute, Sustainable Jefferson County, and Goddard College, as well as our advertisers, Pip Magazine, Susquehanna Permaculture, Seppi's Place, and Permaculture Design Magazine. You'll find links to all of those supporters in the show notes. What you'll hear today was recorded at the end of the 2016 Mid-Atlantic Permaculture Convergence, and is based on audience questions. We looked at swales and the impact on roots, how to continue your permaculture education, and the role and nature of the permaculture design course as a class for practitioners, and from that what it means once you're a graduate of a PDC. During this conversation, you'll hear the voices of Claudia Joseph of New York Permaculture Exchange, Nicole Luttrell of Windsong Farm, Dale Hendricks of Greenlight Plants, Ben Weiss of Susquehanna Permaculture, Todd McCree from Great Escape Farms, Diane Bluest from Chicory Hill Farm, Karen Stupski of Goddard College, and Zach Elfers of Nomad Seed Project. To go with this, the Riverside Project and the Permaculture Podcast are organizing another Mid-Atlantic Permaculture Convergence for this year on Saturday, June 17th. Our theme is the Holistic Homestead. Our guests include a keynote address on the history and tradition of mead from Jeremy Zimmerman, author of Make Mead Like a Viking, and one of our tracks includes a mead tasting for those who are 21+. plus. Michael Judd of Ecologia Design, and author of Edible Landscaping with a Permaculture Twist, is presenting a hands-on learning session on natural building. The herbalist, Hilary Banachowski of Sacred Roots Herbal Sanctuary, will join us to talk about invasive, friend or foe. We'll also have Raising Small Stock, Filling the Corners and Layers of the Holistic Homestead, with Eric Kelly of Charm City Farms. Jen Mendez of Permi Kids is returning to offer more of her incredible, engaging, permaculture-inspired children's programming. 
There's also a panel discussion with some local doulas and midwives, including Claudia Booker of Birthing Hands Midwifery and Birthing Services. They'll be coming together to discuss their roles in community health and empowerment from preconception through postpartum care. Those are the formal tracks, but we'll also have some informal opportunities, similar for those of you who attended last year, to the Tree ID session and plant walks, where you can talk with permaculture practitioners and others about their work and how what they're doing can be used in our own practices. One of those is Jason Gadeski and Juliana Maria Lamana, who will be joining us to share their game, The Fifth World, because they believe that story can knit together communities and bind us together more deeply to the more-than-human world. And they do that by using tabletop games to facilitate communal storytelling. And through that, they invite you to come and try their game and learn more about consensus building, nonviolent communication, and empathy. You can check out the complete details and pick up your tickets at 2017mapc.eventbrite.com. With all that said, let's go ahead and get to this first question and answer session that came from the end of day discussion at the Mid-Atlantic Permaculture Convergence. I'll join you again afterwards. First, I'd like to say this was an absolutely excellent, excellent show and get together and meeting people here. Uh, I, I also have heard a lot of the names and it's great to put faces with the names. So appreciate that. My question is, can a swale actually cause issues with roots on plants? If you have a swale and you put a tree in, having all that moisture there, does that prevent the tree from putting roots down deep enough to actually hold it in place where it makes it where wind or something like that could blow it over? Anybody have some thoughts on that? Uh, Claudia Joseph from New York Permaculture Exchange. I would say that since the whole concept of the swale is water infiltration to penetrate the water deeper into the ground, that the tree would have deeper roots, theoretically, in a permaculture swale system, that oversupply of water isn't going to be an issue. And it's not about shallowness, that we're encouraging the water to go deep, so the roots should be deeper, not shallower, if the swale is installed properly. I think one other thing to mention uh, with swales is that they basically create a raised bed for plants that don't like wet feet. So um, like blueberries, for instance, uh, you'd usually plant in a little bit of a hill, and the swale is a perfect environment for those because they aren't going to be too inundated with water by having their roots raised up above the level versus if you plant them into flat land. Dale Hendricks here, and I'm just going to say something similar, that the swale gives you one opportunity uphill and another opportunity downhill. So just got to think it through and, and know your plants. You know, it's going to be drier just uphill from the swale so yeah and i agree they're they're way overused and i think they're they're maybe a lot better where it's drier uh we might not need quite as many around here there's there's a time and a place for everything and that's the handful of times where i've i've witnessed swales having a beneficial impact very often have been on short steep hills and so they're being installed then to raise the water table up to be planted in then but that then has to be weighed against, I mean, where we are here through Lake Central Appalachia, a lot of times we're getting 42 to 46 inches of precipitation a year. That's really more than enough unless you have some kind of a serious outflow 
of water from a space or a runoff, and in that case, I'd be looking for another way to control that erosion before I would turn to a swale. You just talked about other options for erosion and, and, and controlling that instead of a swale. Like, what would you suggest? Like, for example, our property, one of the things that we were looking at putting in is a very long swale because we've basically got flat land there. It drops off significantly. It goes down about probably about 40 feet over about 40 feet and so the water just comes off this mountain and and over the years we just bought the property there's not much there for topsoil so we're trying to bring that back and a swell was the first thing we thought of because it would give us a a great place to slow it down plus give our ducks some place to swim around as well Um, so what else what else would you suggest or somebody else might suggest in terms of stopping that water uh this is ben weiss with susquehanna permaculture my initial thought in response to that question is that um Although we're encouraged in permaculture to capture water as a form of energy and hold that form of energy on our site, I think that an even better place to store the water than the soil is in plants because water in soil itself isn't a yield, and we're also supposed to be getting a yield, but the plants themselves represent a yield. So if you can find a plant that will grow on the, you know, on the barren soil as a ground cover, which there's a whole slew of them that you you can find you know and get the slope covered as quickly as possible with the ground cover then the plants begin to slow down the water and hold some of themselves and if it's a plant that you can harvest something off of ideally um, that's even better and then hopefully within a few years you have some topsoil and you can start putting in you know plants that need richer soil and want a less severe flow of water. I'll come back again if nobody else is going to ask. So, hey, I, sorry, I, I didn't introduce myself first time. I'm Todd McCree with Great Escape Farms. So my next question is, I've, I've heard a lot of people here that are involved in permaculture somehow. So my question is, I just got my PDC online. Where do you go next? So what is the next level other than I, I know putting it into practice and reading books and stuff like that? But do you guys offer courses? What's the next suggested course to go and i realize it will be different for every person but just some suggestions you can join the um, permaculture institute of north america and they offer a a permaculture diploma program which is basically individualized study and you have a mentor and you can get a diploma in either permaculture design or permaculture education that's one route you could go and if you want to pursue a bachelor's or master's degree Goddard is here because we have a partnership with Permaculture Institute of North America. We actually offer two credits for students who transfer, who come to Goddard after you've taken a PINA-recognized permaculture design course. You can also get a $1,000 scholarship, and then you can just design your own program of study at, at Goddard and get a, a bachelor's or a master's degree in permaculture if you wanted to. Diane Blues from Chicory Hill Farm. Uh, George Mason University um, in Fairfax offers a basic PDC, and they've just started offering an advanced PDC, and that's going to be once a year. I think it's happened last week, actually, um, at Mason's Institute out at Front Royal. So that's that's a local option for, um, you know, one-week block training. Boy, there's just so much and so many different directions to go in permaculture. I always call it like a learning community. So basically to stay in touch with the people who you took your PDC from and your fellow students and to always keep in mind the ethics and principles, but then you can just go a million different ways that follow your 
your interest. You can farm, you can be an activist, you can start a business. So, but what's great is to keep learning, keep hanging out, and and see what works for you. So it's 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 a whole big revolutionary picture. <laughs> You'll never be the same. A year after I took my PDC, I wanted to continue and went for some additional training. And so I went for a teacher training um, with Jude Hobbs and Andrew Millicent and Rico Zook. And it was during that experience, I sat down and asked them, it's like, what do I do next? And their big push was really to spend two to five years practicing permaculture before you really take that next step, even like an advanced training. After having only done like a year of permaculture full time, I showed up and was like the least educated, least qualified, least ready person to be at that teacher training. We had several people with terminal degrees there who were coming back because they were integrating this into their collegiate programs. I had people who had been teaching for three or four years full-time permaculture. But it was in that environment that I kind of found that niche of doing information and broadcasting and collecting all these stories from people because of the skill set that I had when I came to permaculture. And the PDC is a nice introduction to these ideas that occur within the landscape that give us a way to communicate across backgrounds. If we've all taken a PDC, we all know most of the same language, the same ideas and concepts. But in talking with David Holmgren and many other people who have a lot more experience than I do, was that a lot of those ideas that first came out of what Bill and David were doing was about creating really this idea of a design of permacultures, so that it's not really permaculture design that, this, that it's this one idea, but rather we're going to use these tools that we can share in community with others who begin our education in the landscape and then step back and then apply what it is that we're doing to what it is that we know. And so it's not about taking a PDC and then becoming a teacher or a designer unless necessarily that's a background that we already have. There are people who are applying permaculture design to video games and to all kinds of social structures and taking things back. And so a lot of times when people ask me, you know, I, I wanna go take a PDC and do these other things, it's, well, what do you do already? Because you can apply permaculture to what you do already because you already have this great corpus of knowledge and understanding and make what you're doing better for Earth, yourself and others. And also in spending some time doing it before you continue furthering your education, you can get a better understanding of permaculture as this giant umbrella. Very often, the designer's manual has become kind of like the groundwork for permaculture education and for designing curriculum and all these other things. But as a result of that, and if you sat in on some of the other conversations, you heard about non-landscape-based permaculture. And so chapter 14 of the designer's manual is something that kind of got left behind, these invisible systems, these invisible structures. But very often for a lot of folks coming out of the PDC, the landscape is, is there, and it's something we can touch. But as we work on it and grow it and build it and get further and further removed from the PDC, then that entire world opens up, and we have new options and new opportunities based on what we already do. And so, yeah, I would say, like, for me, spend two years having fun with it. Try things, make mistakes. Being able to say that I screwed up and have that as a, a teaching moment is much more of an experience to share with someone than always telling them about your successes. And yeah, there's just, there's a lot of fun to go out there and be like, I have no idea what I'm go doing, but I'm gonna plant this because I like it or I love it. And just being like, there's stuff in the ground and I'm going to give it life. And then going, I am awful at giving plants life. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna try this again.
And yeah, it just gives you something you can bring back to people then. One other option I want to mention that I think a lot of permaculture folks might be interested in, it's called the Eco-Village Design Education Curriculum. It was developed by an organization called Gaia Education, and it's about the design of sustainable communities. It includes a lot of permaculture because it has an ecological dimension, but it also has a social, economic, and worldview dimension. And you can take this, it's sort of like a PDC on steroids. You can take it at eco-villages around the world as a four-week residential course, and they also have an online version that's 400 hours, and you can take it over the course of a year. Well, I think uh, PDC is a, is a wonderful introduction to the whole conceptual world of permaculture and changing your perspective and you know, making that paradigm shift leap, so to speak. But the real fun is the years that will follow when you're applying this knowledge. In my advice, I guess, or in my experience, one of the best places to go to is to learn your native plants and learn what's around you. Just start with your community and your ecosystem. And when you start to learn what's around you, you'll notice patterns that are already in place. Like here in the East Coast, uh, we have white oaks and red oaks, which are dominant in our forest canopy. And that's no accident. And, uh, you know, with, with permaculture, we can insert into that process in a way that is more uh, regenerative than continuing the mistakes we've made in the past, which is, you know, taking the forest down so we can grow something different, you know. Um, I have a two-part question about the, the PDC itself. So my understanding is that at one of the early international permaculture convergences, the global community agreed on the curriculum, the basic curriculum of the PDC, and also agreed that someone who finishes the 72-hour PDC is a certified designer and is also able to teach a PDC and certify other people. In my more than 10 years in the permaculture community now, I've never met anybody who thinks that that makes any sense. Everybody seems to think that it's absurd that you could take a 72-hour permaculture course and be a certified designer, and especially that you could be capable of certifying other people and teaching a PDC. So my question is, why is that still in place? I actually had never heard that. What I was told when I took my PDC was that the PDC means you're certified as a permaculture apprentice. You can use the word permaculture in conducting your business, but that you still need a whole lot more experience. And so you should, that it typically takes doing 10 designs or two years of experience to build up enough competence where you're ready to go out there and, and really do it professionally. And that in order to teach, you should first start out as an assistant teacher and build up some experience before before you're ready to, to teach a, a permaculture design course. So that's that's what I was always told, and I don't know if, if... I had never heard that the international permaculture community said you could just do it. I should clarify that it was one question, but about this, the two things that are conferred on you, supposedly, from finishing a PDC of being a designer and being able to teach a PDC. You know, this is a really complicated question. You went to the... Uh, North American convergence, right? And we talked about this, that my personal opinion is that when that tradition started is that Bill Mollison was teaching people who were already very familiar with land and that permaculture was a catalyst to start a spiral teaching 
chain so that one person would teach another and that the knowledge would spread. So here in the United States, it got a little distorted because we started teaching people who were not from the land and had no knowledge of nature, basically, that were very disconnected. And so, yes, here it makes very little sense that you would have 72 hours and be able to do anything other than go tell your friends that you started learning about something. So that's really how I look at it, is when you get your PDC, you started learning about permaculture. Unless you have a large background of knowledge that you've already brought with you, that you're a specialist in some field where you can sort of transfer the knowledge either from education or from a botanical perspective or that you've lived on land and worked with it or that you've worked in community, that we don't want to lose that invisible structures part of the material, that that so often is overlooked. So, you know, my response is sort of take your permaculture with you everywhere you go every day in every decision you make, when you're shopping, when you're deciding what to do with your life, when you decide if you're going to drive or bike, if you're going to get a bottle of water, you know, think about it from a permaculture perspective is what your impact is on the earth and on your community and go from there that the whole hierarchical structure that we work with in education in many respects works against permaculture thinking. And that is not to devalue it because certainly when permaculture enters universities and and places of higher learning, that that is a gain in our ability to spread information. But that to me is a distortion of the end point of where permaculture began, that it began as a way for people to sustain themselves from the land and to work as part of nature in harmony. So the end point is just to live in it and to be it and be with it and to share it. It seems like the bigger value than, okay, I have a piece of paper, now I can teach. And that was just part of the question and answer session at Mid-Atlantic Permaculture Convergence. The next episode is a bit of a big question that was dropped into our lap by my friend Juliana Lamana when we examine permaculture and climate change. What I like about this conversation and having so many people participate in the dialogue is just the diversity of answers that you get and how the big umbrella of permaculture is still heterogeneous. We're not homogenized. It's not universal in just one answer or one solution. There are still a number of different ways that we can think about and approach these different ideas from our own perspective and the space that we come from. And so I'm wondering what your thoughts are based on the questions that were raised today. What do you see as the impact of swales on roots? Do you agree with what was shared today? What do you think about continuing one's permaculture education? And what about the role of the permaculture design course? Is it enough just to take the PDC and begin teaching and sharing with others? Are you really a certified designer? Or do you think that there are other things that we need to do before we get there? So if you have your own opinion on this, please leave a comment in the show notes. Or feel free to give me a call, send me an email, or shoot me a letter if you'd like to dig into this a bit deeper with me. 
The way to get in touch with me through each of those methods are show at the permaculturepodcast.com. My number is 717-827-6266. And my mailing address is the Permaculture Podcast, P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018. So until the next time, spend each day creating the world that you want to live in by taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other.